Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Super Sentai Brothers, this is episode 29 of Live and Let Die Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to the Gosei Sentai Die Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J, and with me as always is my co-host and brother, uh, the returning champ in the co-host chair, Dave. Dave, how you doing today? <laughs> good, man. Uh, I'm actually really good. Things are things are great over here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, things are good at Casa Day J, I guess. I don't know. I don't remember a lot Del of Spanish. Del J? It would be. Casa Del J. Well done. All right. Well, uh, today we are watching episode 29 of Gosei Sentai Dire Ranger. It's called The Secret Inside Story of a Mother and Child's Tears. Oh, but, that sounds like... Okay. Uh, before we get to what is clearly going to be a pretty co-centric episode, Dave, <laughs> shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is the first star of the week? Okay, Matt. So... If you listen to the show, you may know that we uh, play a fair number of other games, role-playing games, computer games, or video games, etc. There is a game that has just come out. I'm really excited about it. And it, <laughs> just thinking about it, it is called Katanas and Trenchcoats, and uh, it is written by a dude named Ryan Macklin. Uh, his website is, I think it's just ryanmacklin.com, but if you search for him, it comes up. Uh, yeah, it's RyanMacklin.com. The game is called Katanas and Trenchcoats, and it is a loving send-up of... <laughs> it is the 90s-est role-playing game of all time. Um, if you didn't catch the name Katanas and Trenchcoats, you play an immortal, and you're basically and you a Highlander. Say, yeah, when you say immortal, you mean you're a Highlander. Yeah, you're a Highlander. Um, so you're an immortal. You have inside you Blood of Kings. You have no rival. No man can be your equal, right? Sure. Uh, and it's just, it's awesome. Um, you have like five traits and the traits are, help me remember Matt, cause we were reading the game together. Um, it's oh, hold awesome on, I've sword. got it written down here. Okay. The traits are like your stats that you have, right? They're awesome sword, burning passion, ancient memories, like mystical powers, uh, mystical talents, mystical and, talents. and kick-ass wardrobe. That's right. There's only like 12 skills in the game. They're like super basic. The fight skill is just fight, and it just kind of covers anything you want. Um, all immortals have an automatic fight score of three because... <laughs> Which is the cap on skill level yeah. in this game. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go above three. Or maybe it's four. No, no, no. It's three. Whatever it is. The point is, uh, yeah, that's as high as it goes. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, like Real quick, Dave, I've got it open. One of the knowledge skills, because the knowledge skill gets broken up into like subcategories, as mm-hmm. many knowledge skills do. Oh, I forgot about this. There are five knowledge skills. There is secret lore. You've got street knowledge, politics, academics, and Damascus steel production. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, of course, you need, you need that Damascus steel. Of course um, you do. And there's like there's edges in the back, and uh, which are like special talents that you have. And the guy who wrote it uh, again, his name is Ryan Macklin. I definitely recommend you pick this book up if you are old enough to remember the '90s with any fondness. That... And when we say '90s, I want to be very clear about this. This is Highlander '90s. This is not yeah, yeah, yeah. like grunge music '90s. 
Yeah, let me be. That is that's both an important of those point. things were set, I think, in the Pacific Northwest, but they were very different, very like, different sub categories of the '90s. So yeah. So if you liked the Highlander in the '90s, do yourself a favor. He had there were three editions available for the book. There's like the basic edition where you just got it. There was the premium edition, which I forget what that was, and then there's what they called the immortal edition, which is of course what I bought. Uh, what we both got. Yeah, I got it. You got it. Our producer Mark got it, and then our other buddy James also picked up a copy. So he capped it. There are only 58 people who were able to purchase the Immortals edition, and uh, we are four of them. And with the Immortals edition, I guess he's giving us like special content, like he's customizing content for everybody who bought the Immortals edition. I don't precisely know, but so I'm excited so definitely about it. go pick up the book. But just know that when you do it, you won't be quite as good as we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just for purchasing the Immortals edition, we automatically, any our characters, have an automatic plus three grandeur. I don't know what that means yet, completely, <laughs> but we have it. But we got it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my first star, is Katanas and Trenchcoats. Okay, Dave, speaking of Katanas and Trenchcoats, let's move into the second star, because... Inspired by reading this book, we decided to go back and watch a couple episodes of The Highlander last Oh my night. gosh, The Highlander. And guys, listen, okay, we've mentioned it before on the show, um, but if you never watched The Highlander as a kid, if perhaps it was before your time or you were just not into it when it came out, like, do yourself a favor and go back and watch a couple episodes of The Highlander. It's it's amazing. Um it's amazing. Like, it's so, like, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. It's, like, one of the 90s-est things I've ever See, seen. See, that's one of the best parts about it, is when you watch it now, it's this beautiful time capsule of a time where everyone was wearing, like, super billowy clothing. Uh, I oh, think yeah. we counted it. In one episode, the main character, Duncan McLeod, of the Clan McLeod, uh, he wears, I think, was it three or four separate Henleys? Oh, dude. I think it's, like, four. Dude is just wearing Henleys all like all dress clothes. It's just like a bunch of pleats and like very billowy loose pants and shirts. Just hanging out in the kitchen wearing a vest over a Henley. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you can't immediately call to mind what a Henley is, uh, imagine a long sleeved polo shirt that has the buttons but doesn't have a collar. Yeah. Yeah, that's precisely what that is. Um he the oh, sorry, in the first episode. Connor McLeod guest stars. Christopher Lambert guest stars in the Highlander TV show. With his bizarre, impenetrable... Uh, dude, uh, I don't even know about that accent. That accent, Christopher Lambert's accent, is like four accents that got into like the weird matter transfer machine from the fly and came out like some sort of grotesque monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he is there... And he he wears it's white sneakers. It's like jeans and white sneakers, and uh, a blue sweatshirt. Yeah, like a gray sweatshirt. And this is the amazing part: watching the Highlander. Okay, when we see like folks at I don't know, say like Comic Con or like the comic book shop, and they're wearing sort of like acid wash jeans and like white sneakers, and a <laughs> sort of like in a big ill-fitting trench coat and bad ponytails and you look yeah. at that and you think at what point did you decide that you were going to dress like a complete goober for the rest of your life wait that like this is your look and like the highlander was patient zero on this like that is exactly yeah. why this is why and like listen 
I went through a period of my life where I also dressed like a real goober. I'm not going to oh, say I didn't. What I just described, like an ill-fitting trench coat and a bad ponytail, that was me in college. Oh, for yeah. most of college. Yeah, 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 man. Uh, but guys, there's hope. There's hope. You can learn. We should find some, some dressing blogs. I don't know. I fancy, Matt, that we actually dress fairly well. Oh, okay. Listen, if you want a good blog on menswear, check out uh, Jesse Thorne's Put This On. Oh, yeah. That's it. You've pointed me there as before. Uh, it is a great, great blog. Yeah. So do that and stop dressing like Duncan McLeod because that look hasn't been in since 1993. <laughs> I don't even know if that look was in, in 1993. Listen, I refuse to believe that Duncan <laughs> McLeod was not the height of fashion at some point. Okay. That's, that's really fair. Also, his he hair was the is king weird. of cool. His hair is very weird in that show. His hair is a little weird, but it, what you know what makes up for it? The fact that he drives the greatest car known to man, that oh, like that jet black really cool. chromed out uh, 1964 Thunderbird convertible. Yeah. Dude, I actually completely forgotten about that car until we sat down to watch the show last night. It gets blown up near the end of the first season, and I remember because no. I was re-watching the show a couple of years ago. And when that car blew up, I was heartbroken. Like, I almost couldn't finish the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Um, so, Highlander aside, what is our third star of the week, Matt? Well, Dave, our third star of the week this week is the fact that you were on spring break and I wasn't. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not. I'm not into it. We <laughs> talked about this around uh, Christmas break when you were off off of school and uh, I was still going to work every day, and I wasn't into it then. And I'll tell you what. Time has not improved my opinion of it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I am. I'm on spring break this week, so I don't have to go to work, which is totally rad. If it makes you feel better, Matt, and I don't it know that it probably will. probably doesn't. If it makes you feel better, though, uh, I do have... I actually have a very busy week ahead of me. It's just not school. Like, it's just not work. Like, well, I have sure, a bunch you, of, I have a bunch of stuff finish, to do. You gotta finish Shadows Over Mordor. No, I finished it. I finished it this afternoon, actually. Okay, well, that's one thing off your plate. Yeah. What else you could go. you be busy with? Well, I've you got jerk. that, dra- I got you that Dragon Age jerk. DLC. Still haven't hit that. I uh, haven't even touched Assassin's Creed Unity, which came with my Xbox. So, like I said, Matt, pretty full docket. <laughs> that's that's okay. I mean, I, I will find time to do those things. I actually do have a bunch of stuff to do. I um, Did I tell you this? I am making like a whole pile of new weapons for the LARP that I play. Uh, no, but I'm not surprised. I, don't you do that every year? Or is this no, a particularly no, no. large uh, order? Well, normally what I do is I make like custom weaponry for players that like, like looks cool and is like kind of customized for their character and whatever. What I'm doing this week is I am putting together just a pile, like 30-odd weapons that are just um, like very basic, simple weapons to be used by the NPCs at the game. NPC stands for non-player character those are the oh yeah 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 like those the are the people who come to help out and pretend to be goblins for you to kill for yeah the precisely so i actually i am making like a ton of weapons uh so i actually have a pretty busy week but it is nice to have a, a week off of work yeah i imagine it would be yeah we well, have vacation time you can do <laughs> i don't don't you don't have vacation time no oh that's right your old job you did this job you don't sorry buddy yeah well uh, things, well, these things happen some sweet day. Uh, okay, so my killer week aside, Matt, what is our fourth star of the week? Well, the fourth star of the week, Dave, um, is this is actually something I did a few weeks ago, 
And it's not a big thing. It was just a minor thing that I noticed, but I wanted to mention it to you because it was so cool. Okay. So a, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to visit a old friend from grad school in Cincinnati. Cool. Right. And listen, if you are from, basically, if you're from one of like the big three like cities that begin with C in Ohio, you yeah. think that yours is the best one. Yeah. And that the other two are like second class citizens of the state, as it were. And so I did not have super high hopes as to what Cincinnati was going to be like. Turns yeah. out Cincinnati's really nice. No kidding. Yeah. And in particular, uh, the friend that I was visiting was staying in a part of town called like the Gaslight District. And Dave, this is not a joke. They have like fully functioning gaslights on the street. Wow. I thought that they were going to be like replicas. And then I got up close. And no, it's like that little. You know, it looks like the inside of a Coleman lantern. No, but, like, that's super cool. It was awesome. Yeah, man. I Okay, listen. I should probably be cooler about this because I am. we are from Cleveland, and I do love our city. And a lot of people talk down on Cleveland. And I'm like, nah, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, Cleveland is great. <laughs> but anytime someone's like, what's Cincinnati? And I'm just like, Cincinnati is basically terrible, and you should never go there. I don't know why. I've never actually – I think I've been to Cincinnati, like, maybe twice. Here's what I know about Cincinnati, Matt. Uh, it's the birthplace of Cincinnati Chili, which is legitimately a crime against humanity. Oh, yeah. That's gross. Like, Yeah. Like, listen. Sorry. Like, sorry. City of Cincinnati. Uh, I'm sure you're full of nice people and there's good food to be had in you. But Cincinnati Chili is an abomination. Let's like, let's just be honest about it that. Is a, it's a crime against God and humanity. But there was a lot of good food in Cincinnati. A lot of great, you know, you're right next to Kentucky. So you're right next to a lot of good bourbon. Ooh, I did not think about that. Yeah, good yeah. point. Good like, point. you can see Kentucky from right across the river. So, right on. No, it's cool. Okay. It was a cool place. So, right that's cool. I don't know. I guess the third star is check out Cincinnati sometime. <laughs> fourth, fourth star. But yeah, sure. Check out Cincinnati sometime. Just don't eat. And if anyone offers you Cincinnati chili, just politely decline. And okay, finally, rounding out the list, Dave, what is our fifth star of the week? Okay, uh, continuing our sort of theme of things that were great when we were kids. I just ordered, Matt, the first... I don't, it's like they say it's the first season. I don't really know how that works. But the first 32 episodes of Silverhawks. Oh, Silverhawks. Yeah, man. It just got in. Like, it got to... I ordered it on, like, Wednesday or something. It was on... I got it, like, super cheap. I don't know exactly why, but I did. And uh, I got the first four discs. It's 32 episodes. And it's going to be great because I'm just going to be sitting in my basement next week making LARP weapons and watching Silverhawks. Silverhawk, Dude. sorry, if you're not at all familiar, is a cartoon from the 80s. I mean, I think oh, it was yeah, definitely we were little kids, 80s. right? So it's a cartoon from the <laughs> cartoon from the 80s. All right. So there's a the villain, and his name is Monstar. He is a monster from the stars. It's set in space, and the heroes, the titular Silverhawks, are cyborgs. That well, have let's been see. Like, they've got uh, they've got um, they got wings of silver, nerves yeah, of steel, right? Silver hawks. Uh, yeah. They're partly metal and partly real. I don't, and I never understood that line because metal is also real. But I think the idea is that they are part cyborg and part human. Yeah, but, they do the old uh, they do the Liefeld switcheroo. They're not a human with a cyborg arm. They're like a few of them are cyborgs that just have one human arm sticking out of the armor. 
yeah. which is absurd because if you watch the opening to that show, you'll see that when they jump into space, they get like these full face masks that come down over them, mm-hmm. but then they still have their regular human arm just floating around in the vacuum of space. Dude, there is a lot of like a large portion of the action of this show takes place in the vacuum and like a brutal cold and deadly radiation of outer space. Nobody seems to care. So there's this the is a show Hawks. where you can tell in the pitch room everybody was on probably at least cocaine. <laughs> minimum, minimum piles of cocaine. Because, okay, like, as dude, we said, we've got Monstar, the monster from the stars. I feel like most 80s cartoons are like that. But yeah, so there's Monster from the stars. There's a Silverhawks. And they have a uh, they have like a ship that they fly around in, but then the ship launches them out, and they like fly around in space. And they have like silver. They're not like wings. They're like uh, it's like webbing between like their hips and wrists, I guess. So it's sort of a wings. And they have got like lasers on their shoulders that they're like shooting at people as they're flying towards them. Um, the bad guys, first of all, Monstar as his transport around space. Oh, he has the best ride in any cartoon. <laughs> he has a giant space squid that he has like mentally dominated and put like a chopped Harley seat on. So the dude is rolling around in a chopped space squid, and that's his transport. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Okay, well, here's another great thing about the Silverhawks. So you've got, you know, any number of possibilities for space aliens, right? Right, and so they decide that they want to put a alien on the team with the Silverhawks. You know, you've got like right. four humans and one alien. Makes sense. You get that sort of thing in cartoons a lot, right? Right. So the alien race that they decided is they've got this one kid, and he's the copper kid. The rest of them are silver. He's, he's copper. Copper. Um, and Dave, do you want to know what race he's from? Well, I or already what planet know that, he comes from. I already know, but sure. He comes from the planet of the mimes. Yeah. Planet of the mimes. And listen, these guys aren't just like mute aliens. They have, like their faces kind of look like mime makeup. So somewhere, they just decided, instead of coming up with a race, they're like, okay, this guy is going to be a mime. And not just silent, he's going to look like a mime. He's going to be like a mime. He does not talk. He only has like chirps and whistles. Yeah. He's got like space face paint on and that is our alien race that we've come up with yeah it's dude i don't even know it's amazing uh okay <laughs> yeah so i mean it, you can there's some of it is on uh youtube at least and silver Hawks might have the best opening theme song of any 80s cartoon if nothing else, the opening sequence is great. It's one of those great 80s cartoon opening sequences where the animation quality in the opening is at least twice as good as anything you'll get inside the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. Thundercats was like that, too. Oh, dude, Thundercats is so good. Oh, okay. Uh, so we should probably get into the episode, Matt. We should need to start t- stop talking about <laughs> children's cartoons in America from the 80s and start talking about children's shows from Japan from the 90s. True, true, true. So we're going to take a break. We're going to watch episode 29 of Die Ranger, and we'll be right back after the break. Go! 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 All right, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 29 of Die Ranger, and Dave, why don't you give us a quick recap, and then we'll get into it proper. 
Yeah, no sweat. So this episode is a little bit more focused on the kind of larger story of Dire Ranger in general, as opposed to the character-centric episodes that we've been getting recently. Uh, the Dire Rangers fight a monster that is kidnapping children. We find out a little bit more about Ko, and Cameo makes another cameo. That's pretty much it. Yeah, okay. So when we start this episode... We get a quick flashback on the end of the last episode. So when the four right. kings of heaven were reformed after their destruction, we see that. Uh, we see, if you recall, Cameo getting zapped by that crystal and disappearing. Yeah. And again, it makes it feel a lot like this is, in fact, a second part of a two-parter. I almost think it kind of is, even though they don't explicitly say it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good call. It it very right. much continues on with the characters and themes of the previous episode. Yeah. You know what we never find out, actually, is whatever happens to the grandmother who Kazu is helping, she just kind of disappears, but whatever. I assume that so, she's fine. Yeah, you're probably right. So what we see is, first scene is Rin is running after Ko. Ko's on his skateboard, just trying to escape her. Ko is basically just laughing at her and making faces. And we find out the reason that she is chasing after him is because he doesn't do his homework. Yeah, and like, Rin is not his mom, but he, she is the adult, or almost adult, that Ko is staying almost with. Almost adult, I guess. And right. so she is, you know, taking responsibility for the kid, which is good. It's good whenever our heroes Wait. take responsibility for something, yeah. because there's a lot of times that it doesn't happen. Yeah, nobody else is. So as uh, Ko is riding away in his skateboard, he actually runs into Shoji, and Rin yells at Shoji, like, Shoji, stop him! And Shoji's just like, ah, ha, ha, Rin, you're just like a mom. It's like, Shoji, maybe you could actually be responsible. This be is, awesome. yeah, but he doesn't. This is an instance of one of our heroes not taking responsibility. So it's a real goofus and gallant <laughs> opening. <laughs> right. So Ko... As he, he sort of like cruises to a stop and he hears what I'm assuming is his mom. And it turns out, yes, that is the case. And he hears his mom and he's like looking around and he sees like a vision of her like over kind of away from him. And she's like yelling for him. And he's like, mom, mom. And he like runs over. And then she like sort of like fade disappears. She like zooms out slash fades away. And she's no longer there. So as the illusion of Ko's mom fades away, Shoji and Rin finally catch up to him, and they are right. sort of in the midst of consoling him, even though they don't really know what was happening. Um, when the camera cuts away to another kid in that same park who is riding his bike, when all of a sudden, he gets snagged by a fishing hook. Now, yeah. when I say he Just gets like snagged a by a big... fishing hook, he was not like riding under a bridge or anything. He's just under the open yeah, sky. Yeah, is not, he's not in the water. He's just riding his bike. Yeah. And a fishing hook snags him on like his back belt loop, lifts him okay. off of his bike, and starts dragging him away through the sky. Okay, Matt, there's something I want to point out right, real quick here. Sure. When he gets pulled up off of his bike, he gets pulled away stage right, like off the left-hand side of the screen, up and into the sky. Go ahead. I'll bring. I'll circle back to that point in a second, but continue. Okay, so the Dire Rangers, or rather the ones who were present, notice that this is happening and start to sort of jog after him, not 
in like a super hurry. They're not running. It's like a casual jog. Like, hey, what's going on over there? Not much of a sense of urgency. Like if you saw someone doing like a cool like juggling trick as they were walking past a building and you kind of wanted to like <laughs> right, jog like, up to get a better ah, angle on what was ah, happening. That? Like that is the rate with which That's these the... guys are right. making sure they can follow this child who is being magically kidnapped. Okay. So as they are following him, this dude hops out from behind a tree. He's clearly a Goma because he has a weird costume on. Yeah. Do you remember last episode when I said that the four kings of heaven were dressed like refugees from a Usagi Ojimbo comic? I do remember that, Matt. That was perhaps not the best way I could have put it. Because as it turns out, and uh, thank you once again, Elliot Hunter, for uh, writing in to clarify some things. Those guys were dressed like Buddhist monks. Yeah. This guy is absolutely dressed like someone from a Usagi Ojimbo comic. <laughs> like 100%. He has a yeah. giant wicker hat. He's like whistling through a He's leaf. He's got like a, like a jacket. Yeah, the whistling through the leaf thing is really cool. And uh, and he's got like a high, he's got like some sort of weird shoes on. So anyways, so this guy comes out and he sort of like does a little pose and then he like leans forward and like puts his hand out and says something to the effect of like, I greet you with an open hand or something like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it says something about an open hand. And Shoji does the same thing back. Like he does the same pose and he holds his hand out and he says the same thing. So I don't know if this is like a, I think this might just be like a cultural thing, like a cultural etiquette thing where like if you meet someone or something, I have no idea. Yeah, this is... But it's clearly like ritualized this is in something some way. Because like Shoji knows what to like, do. I don't recognize it, but Shoji clearly knows what's going on and responds in, I guess, yeah. what is the proper way. Rin, by the way, does Imagine not respond. So. Yeah, well, you know, she's supposed to be Chinese, so maybe she's not supposed to get it. I don't know. Who knows, man? So... The guy says, like, blah, 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 open hand. And he's like, just a heads up. I'm totally a Goma. That was me. I just kidnapped that kid. Something, something, something. And then... And Shoji... Yeah, and like... (laughs) So he says that he's a Goma. And then he keeps talking for a minute. And I think Rin hops in. And there's a little bit more of an exchange there. And then at the end, Shoji hops back in by saying, wait. You're a Goma? It's like, yes, Shoji, he just told you this. This is not a surprise. It shouldn't have been a surprise when you saw, like, a weird basket-headed samurai walk out from behind a tree. And he did already tell you blatantly that he was a Goma monster. At this point, the fact that you have not yet, like, aura changed, there is no excuse for it. Yeah. Oh, heads up, the monster's name is the Fast Talking Wanderer. Oh, but here's the point I was going to make before, right? So he's already said, it was me with the fishing line. I'm the one who kidnapped the kid. Okay, so remember I said, the kid gets pulled off stage right, like the left-hand side of the screen, up and away, out of the sky. The fast-talking wanderer enters the scene from behind a tree, like the opposite direction. Like he comes in from stage left onto onto the screen, the opposite direction of where we saw the kid get pulled off. So where was he stand? Like, I don't understand how he pulled the kid off one direction when he himself is walking that same direction. It made no sense at all. Yeah, like the logistics of this are a nightmare. 
Yeah, I actually assumed that there was a whole other Goma going to be involved, and like that Goma was going to be the one with the fishing pole, because that would have made sense. It's not. It's him. That's they just. It's, there's nothing there. So, <laughs> so sorry. That weird sort of rambling rant aside, um, Shoji finally kind of gets his act together. And he says, all right, we got an aura change. And so they aura change. No, Rin actually says it. Shoji's just following directions. So they aura change. They start to move towards the fast-talking wanderer, and then he summons a Kotopotoro. So there starts to be a big fight between the Kotopotoro and the uh, two rangers in attendance. Ko has ducked off into the woods to... Uh, activate his Kiba Changer to come back as the White Ranger. And I get the feeling that this is the only reason that the Kotopotoro showed up was to, like, write in an opportunity for Ko to sneak away to Aura Change. That makes sense. Yeah, Because otherwise, there's no reason that they wouldn't just start fighting right away. But anyway, that happens. Ko comes back to the fight. And remember, Ko went in, at this point in the show... When in his uh, changed form, he doesn't actually do any talking. His sword does all the talking for him because his sword has a more adult-sounding yeah. voice. Right. And so as Ko joins the fight, Shoji says something to the effect of like, Hey, Kiba Ranger, why do you always show up for like the good part, I think is what he says. Yeah, and also, and then... who are you? <laughs> right. And, okay, Bianca Shinkan, which is the sword starts talking and he's like ha 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 that's like a secret or something but it's very clearly like the Kiba Ranger is very clearly holding the sword the sword's mouth is moving in time with the words that are being spoken it's very obviously the sword that's talking and Shoji and Rin do not notice at all so immediately after that I think Matt right is when the other rangers show up yes. is that right yeah the other three okay. then show up and and they show up on their uh, their like motorcycles. Oh yeah, we haven't seen great. those in a while. I was actually pretty excited. So they all show up. They're about to start fighting, and, and fast talking wanderer pulls out his third, and frankly, kind of too many gimmicks. Yeah, because he's already got the weird samurai thing going on with the costume. Right. He's got the he's got the fishing pole thing, and now he has bombs. That are of custom shapes, each one, and yeah. they are triggered. Like you do. So, okay, let me just say what happens. This bomb is shaped like a persimmon with a long wick attached to it. So the wick lights, the fast-talking wanderer says like a tongue twister, throws the persimmon bomb at, I think it was Shoji? And then Shoji yeah, I think so. has to respond by saying the tongue twister. And if he fails to complete it in, like, you know, a set amount of time, the bomb will explode. Now, here's a few things about this. One, Dave, you're 100% right. That is one too many gimmick. Yeah. Point number two. In each case, they catch the bomb. Like, it doesn't stick to them. They just catch it. And then they don't throw it away. Yeah. So, I don't know if it is, like, magnetized to them or something, but at least with, like, four out of the five of them, they just catch it, try to say the thing, fail to say the thing, and then get blown up. <laughs> that just explodes. My notes just say, guys, just throw them back. But 
we will see in a second he throws one at Ko and it like sticks to his back. So I'm willing to accept that maybe these bombs, like if it hits you, you kind of like can't get rid of it. It's somehow adhered to its victim. So maybe they I'm are. I'm willing but... to buy that just because otherwise none of it makes sense. <laughs> okay. So the fast talking wanderer is hitting the Rangers with these like sticky tongue twister bombs. And he's about to try and get Ko, I think. Like, he pulls one out, and he's about to get Ko. But then Ko hears his mom again, you know, calling for him. And he, like, loses it. He totally drops the facade of being, like, an adult. He just starts talking in his own voice, and he is running towards where he hears his mom. This, as it turns out, is a terrible idea because, as we've just said, at least this bomb that the fast-talking wanderer has can stick to a dude. So he just throws it at Ko's back. Ko, instead of even trying to say the tongue twister, is just calling out for his mother again and again. Bomb yeah. blows up. And we actually, we do, oh, real quickly, Matt, we do see that same sort of like phantasmal vi- vision of his mom and she's like reaching out to him and yelling for him and then she sort of like zooms out, fades away. And then that's when Ko gets hit with the bomb and he's just yelling like, mom, mom, mom. So the bomb explodes and the two results of it are that Ko gets thrown up into a tree, like the high branches of a tree. And Which I'm not really sure how that happens. He but. gets like un aura changed and drops the sword and the keeper changer, right? Yes. So the Die Rangers are like, wait, is that Ko? Like what what is Ko doing here? Is he the White Ranger? That doesn't make any sense. Because it kind of doesn't. Um, you know, in a in a non-magical <laughs> world, right. which of course they don't live it in. It makes no sense. But yeah, they were surprised that the adult who has been helping them turned out to be the terrible child that they've been saddled with. <laughs> right. Um, and then the Go monster is so... also surprised. It's like, oh, that's a kid. I've been stealing kids. I'm going to go ahead and steal that kid. <laughs> so he just grabs him with the thing, the, uh, with the his fishing, rod. Uh, fishing pole. And uh, and then he just, like, teleports out. Like, he's gone. This is actually where in my notes it says, because now this is the first time we see that the Fast Sunk Wanderer is the guy with the fishing pole. And my notes actually say, wait, who had the pole last time? The other kid was pulled in a direction opposite. So, okay, this is the first time we find out that this is the, this is the deal. We cut back to Murder Basement, and we see that the Rangers are sitting around... Doshikaku is there, and they have Byakushinkan, like they have the tiger sword. And they're sort of all like in a tizzy. They're like, what is going on with this thing? This is so weird. And they, yeah, I think Shoji has it. He puts down the uh, Ko's aura changer and Byakushinkan and turns to Kaku. He's like, Kaku, did you know this? Like, why didn't you tell us? (laughs) Kaku and Byakushinkan. Kaku does not respond. He just stares him down. Right. He's like, I don't have to answer you. I'm, I'm Doshikaku. Uh, but Byaku Shinken jumps in. And he says, yes, like, I told Ko to keep it a secret. And, like, I did all the talking because if he was a kid, no one would take him seriously. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then. And yeah. And then, okay. Here's the kicker. First of all, everyone is very surprised that a sword is talking. Yeah. 
Which, I don't know why. I don't know why that's any weirder than, like, their giant dragon robot. Well, it's not weirder, but it is certainly a surprise. Especially when the voice yeah. that they're hearing is the voice that they have come to know as the Keeper Ranger. And they do put it together. They're like, oh, oh, I know that voice. You were the one doing the talking. And he's like, yeah, it was me. And so he says, I, I kept the secret because, A, you know, he's a kid and I wanted people to take him seriously. And, B, like, there is a secret. Like, Ko has bum, some bum, bum. thing that, you, like, people can't know. Right. And as he starts to explain it, we get yet another weird Star Wars, like, echo. Yeah. Because, like, an orb, I don't know where the orb comes from, but there's, like, a little orb, and it's, like, blue, glowing blue, and then, like... A light shines down. Like a blue and, light shines down. Yeah, and it's very much like a help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope moment. But it's Ko's mom. And she starts talking to the Rangers, and she's like, oh my gosh, you have to help me. Like, help, 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 please help. Please help, Ko. Help, help, help. You might think I'm saying help too many times. I'm not. No, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. No, she said it way too many times. <laughs> right and so she says listen you've got to help ko and the other reason that i wanted to keep it a secret is that because he is the child of me and i'm from the die tribe but his dad you might be able to guess where this is going is from the goma tribe bum, bum, bum. <laughs> right and then she says and if he, like, he's fine now, but if he grows up and, like, nobody's taking care of him, like, his Goma side will come out and he will become a Goma. Like, it's a big deal. Which and also the, makes me think that because all the Goma have, like, weird, crazy monster forms, that maybe they're sort of like the Inhumans. You know what I mean? Like, they grow up kids. Because, like, Akamaru just looks like a kid. Maybe they grow up normal, and then when you hit, like, Goma puberty, you get exposed to, like, the Terra Goma mists, and that's when you turn into, like, a crazy monster. Man, I have no idea. But... I hope so. We do find one more thing out in this sequence, because this oh, is the yeah. last time they're going to be able to talk to Ko's mom, because she is burning out the last of her karaoke to, like communicate with them right now right yeah really key she's like i can't talk for long this is the last time i will be able to contact you i won't be able to talk to you anymore but you need to find ko and find me and get us together before his 10th birthday because like he has goma blood in him and I have sealed the evil of his Goma blood away with that tiger brand. Like, that is what the brand right. was. It wasn't just, yeah. like, weird bad parenting. Um, yeah. It was to seal away the evil of his, like, demon blood. But and she it has, says, like, an expiration date. Right. Like, it's running out. And so that is now, like, the clock that they're on. They need to find Ko, and they need to find Ko's mom. Because otherwise, the White Ranger is going to become a Goma. Yeah. And so the Rangers, to their credit, immediately say, like, okay, where are you? Like, we will come and get you. Just give us your location. Where are you? When is Ko's birthday? Like, they are asking all the relevant questions. Ko's like, mom... Please provide us with the relevant data to solve your problem. <laughs> right. Hey, Ko's mom, it's just like, you have to help him. 
please help him. Like, he's running out of time. You have to take care of my little boy. And they're like, like yeah, yes, lady, that's cool. We get it. When is his birthday? And she's like, no, please help. Help him, please. And then she fades out. Like, yeah, lady, it's like, lady. You had a solid 30 seconds where you could have given them any number of relevant pieces of data. Like, hey, I am in a warehouse. You know, right. I think it's docks, somewhere in this part of the country. Right. You know, Anything. there's only like, so many locations that they could be. Quarry, docks, <laughs> warehouse. That's it. Maybe a temple. Right. Maybe. She could have given them literally any piece of useful information. And all she does is implore them to do something that they have already enthusiastically said they will absolutely <laughs> do. So, okay, so Ko's mom point, is kind of dumb. This is the halfway mark of the episode. We cut to commercial break. When right. we cut back, the Die Rangers are sort of coming out of Murder Basement, walking around the street, mm-hmm. when suddenly they get assaulted, kind of? Well, specifically, Rin gets kicked in the head by someone who does that like weird like a jumpy kick, like... Not like a jump kick, like ha ah, jump kick, but like a jumpy kick where like they jump onto your head and kick you at the same time and then jump away. And so she gets knocked down and the other rangers are like, who did that? Who's attacking us? And they look over and it's granddad. It's like her grandfather. Yeah, it's Rin's grandfather who has decided to say hello by kicking her in the head. <laughs> you might think at some point they will mention like, what's up, dude? They don't. They don't. They just yeah. accept that that was his greeting and move on. Yeah. And then it, like, they're just like, oh, it's Guhan. No way. And then that's the end of that scene. Jump to the quarry. At the quarry, a quarry, the quarry, whatever. So the four kings of heaven are doing something. They're just banging a drum. I don't know what. Just by they're doing it's they're like doing something that's like vaguely mystical. Like one guy is like throwing some powder or salt around. Other guy's like on the drum. They're kind of chanting. I don't if they're doing something that's even that's based in reality. I don't know what it is. So the kids that the fast talking wanderer has kidnapped are like digging a hole. Now I just want to point this out because we have spent at least one third of this show in a quarry, and this is the first time anyone has ever dug in it. Yeah, but let me be really clear. It's like the Goma just realized, like, oh, that's what this place is for. So there are four children, all under the age of, like, 12. Easily under 12, yeah. Yeah. Surrounding those children are the four Goma commanders, a bunch of Kotopotoro, and the four kings of heaven, all of which are A- adults or adult sized or b have like crazy superhuman powers the reason that they have kidnapped these four children is that the children are digging with their tiny little child arms while like huge adults that can punch down a building are just standing (laughs) around waiting for them to finish and telling them to hurry. It's like, guys, you have kidnapped the people on this planet that are, like, least able to do the thing that you want. Not even because, like, they're defiant and will, like, fight back against you. They're just, like, physically incapable. They can't. They will work as hard as you... As hard as they can. And they are still, the four of them... 
not together as good as one of you. <laughs> right. So the only thing that I can think of is that maybe they're doing some sort of magic thing that requires it to be children. That's it. That's the only reason that's, I can think of. That's the only thing that makes sense. Because they say, they say why are we digging? And um, the Goma commanders are like, we, there's like a power buried here. And if we obtain it, we will be able to like kill the die rangers. And oh, then, by the uh, way, one of the kids gets exhausted and falls over, and a Kota Potoro just comes over and starts whipping a child that is, like, on the ground, exhausted from being forced <laughs> to dig. And it's an upsetting moment. Yeah, it's kind of, it's weird. It's grim. It's that's cool. a grim it's part a, of the yeah, show. Uh, that's not a part of human existence that we should be, <laughs> I don't know. So anyways, so Shadam, like, jumps down. And is, like, kind of getting up in Ko's grill, like, ah, not so bad without your aura changer, are you? Ko, in easily the most baller movies ever pulled, like, spits in Shadam's face. He's like, Pah! which is great. It's easily the coolest thing Ko's ever done. Well, no. Ko one time summoned a spectral rock band to kill something. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's the coolest thing that Ko has ever done. But this is top five. <laughs> right. Okay, Dave, before we move on from this scene, there's something I would love to point out to you. <laughs> okay. Shadam and Zydos, as you said, are all up in Ko's face. And they yeah. are furious at him because he is the Kiba Ranger and he had been keeping his identity secret. And one of right. them says, who knew this kid was the Kiba Ranger? And you know who knew? They did. They all did. Remember a few episodes ago? When they found out, like, very That's definitively, right. yes, this kid is the Kiva Ranger. I had like, completely listen, forgotten about that. The Dime Rangers should have put it together by now. But, like, I get it. They didn't have actual confirmation. But, like, the Goma do. They've seen him aura change in front of them. Shadam was there when he aura changed in front of Akamaru, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and if not, like... You know, just ask around. Enough Kotopotoros must have been there, and we know they can talk. Like, Dude, this makes zero sense. I had show completely that almost forgotten. never makes sense. This makes double no sense. <laughs> okay. No, that's a myth. Dude, I don't even. Uh, okay. Okay, so that's kind of the end of that scene. Before yeah. I start throwing things. So, <laughs> we cut back. And uh, Guhan, who is Rin's granddad, they're all in Rin's apartment, and he's got a bunch of, like, packing boxes. And he's like, hey, I brought new weapons. And they're all like, no way, that's awesome. And he pull, he, they're opening the boxes, and he pulls out this, like, big, I don't even quite know what it is. It looks sort of weird. And he says, this is the Kiryoku Bazooka. Oh, And then my notes yeah. just say, in all caps, Amazing. Yeah, so dude, says, the Kiryoka Bazooka is the bomb. I can't wait to see this thing in action. But it's going to be a little bit because, because Guhan drops the knowledge. He says, listen, yeah, it's the Kiryoku Bazooka. It is powered by the seven Tenpo Rai Rai jewels. And if you're counting, guys, there's only six, which the Rangers yeah, point out. First of all, shining in the heavens, five stars. Right. Then you got the Kiba Rangers Tempo Rai so Rai Jewels. Yeah. And they're like, dude, there's only six of these. What's up? And he's like, mm, I think some stuff is going to happen soon. 
and that's all he says for a second. And they're like, well, what do, Wait, do you know what, anything what do you about? Mean? Like, is there another die ranger? He's like, no, 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 it's nothing like that. But there <laughs> right. is another jewel. Like, says, well, can you describe it for us, please? And he says, well, like a turtle shell, it's sort of angular. So clearly, and Kazu puts this together immediately as well, it's the jewel that Cameo had found. The yeah, one that one was just episode, chilling out in a fountain. Which like in a I park. will promise you looks nothing like a turtle shell. Yeah. I have seen he... turtle shells. I've seen them in this episode. That is no turtle shell, my friend. Yeah. So all of the other Tempo Rai Rai jewels had just like it's like a big deal. Whereas this one is in a park somewhere. Who knows how long it's been there? Just waiting to be picked up by literally anyone. <laughs> and, you know, Cameo just basically tripped over it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that, so Kazu immediately realizes, he's like, oh my gosh, that's the thing. That's the thing that Cameo found. So the scene cuts, and then we just see Kazu running down this bridge, and then he has sort of like a little mental flashback to like Cameo finding the thing. Also, Kazu, you know you're going to get this other thing. You were literally standing there with the other rangers. Why not bring them with you? Like the oh right man, there. why not do all sorts of things? Why not aura change and summon your motorcycle to get there faster? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Why not yeah, stop so, time because you can just do that for no reason? <laughs> so he is just booking it down the road in his like plaid pants and cool vest. Brown pleather, guys. It's a good look. <laughs> so Kazu shows up and bursts into Cameo's apartment. And finds that the place is sort of wrecked. Because yeah. if you remember from the last episode, the jewel zapped everywhere and everything got sort of knocked over. Yeah, and he looks across the room and he see, sees huddled under a blanket is Cameo. Yeah. And who is like freaking out. He like, he's got the blanket pulled up over his head and I don't remember exactly what he's saying. But he's like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, this is terrible. And Kazu was just like, dude, like what's like what's going on? Are you okay? And then Cameo like pulls the blanket off of his head and he's got he basically just has like black and maybe it's supposed to be bruises or something. He's got like black makeup kind of like smeared on the sides of his face and then like around his No, eyes. it's not bruises, and I'm not even sure it's supposed to be black. I thought it was like a dark green. But in any case, like yeah, maybe. his face has been sort of like in some way physically altered. Oh, Dave, by the way, quick note on Cameo. Okay. Um, the actor who plays Cameo is the same actor who played the Yellow Ranger in Jetman. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay. When you were mentioning last week that you liked the guy, I thought I'd look into it. And lo and behold, he was Yellow Owl, like one of the Rangers from one of the most popular seasons of all time. So there you go. (laughs) Right on. You had some Uh, good instincts there. Okay. See, there you go, man. So... I hope that this is a prelude to Cameo becoming a ranger, except Guhan has already told us that there aren't any more rangers, so I guess he isn't. But something is going on with this dude. And Kazu is like, dude, it's super big deal. It's super big deal. Dude, it's a really big deal. <laughs> you, where is that jewel that you found? Like, I, it's, a, it's really important. Where is it? And Cameo's like, uh, kind of exploded my apartment, and I freaked out. So I just, like, threw it off a train. 
Yeah, I just got it as far away from me and my things as I possibly could. It, I had a really bad time with that thing, dude. But he's right. not saying it nearly as calm as I am right now. Yeah. He is and still so, in, like, freak-out mode and trying to scurry back underneath the blanket. And so Kazu's like, no, dude, we have to go get this thing, like, right now. And then the scene just cuts away. We jump back, and there's, like, a park something... And we just see the fast-talking wanderer. He's just hooking kids left and right, and they're getting pulled up and away into the air uh, with no consideration given to where the fast-talking wanderer himself is standing. So this isn't just like a one-off thing. But they're just disappearing. And then the uh, the four other rangers, not Kazu, you know, so Daigo, Ryu, Shoji, and Rin, they all show up to confront him. Like, hey, dude. Stop kidnapping these children, please. <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, we need them. And then... So there's you know, a... F- for manual labor, because the digging right. isn't going fast enough. So they... T- <laughs> so they tension, and then it just cuts away. Uh, it sounds like... It seems like they're going to just skip the fight. They don't. They jump back to it. But what we do jump to is Cameo and Kazu just looking for this jewel. Like the Tenpo Rai Rai jewel that he had thrown off a bridge or something. Just digging through some tall grass. Yeah. And, and uh, Kazu's like, dude, where is it? He's like, I don't know. It's got to be around here somewhere. And that's kind of it. And then Kazu's um, aura changer slash risk communicator goes off. It says like, hey, Kazu, uh, we need you. We are fighting a Goma. Get over here, please. So he leaves Cameo to continue to search for the gem and he runs off to go help his friends right so we jump back to the fight and the rangers are sort of pulling out their weapons one by one so first they all pull out their die rods and the fast talking wanderer just starts hooking them with his fishing pole which okay sure so he's just stealing the weapons out of his hand stealing the die rods uh, then they pull out the die busters. He steals those too. Okay, I then- just want to point something out here. He is clearly doing these like one at a time because he's only got like the one line and the one hook, right? Yeah. Why don't the other rangers, and the answer, of course, is it's a show for babies. Why don't the other rangers just shoot him with the die buster while he's taking like the first one's die buster? Like there's... A couple of seconds, at least, it doesn't take long to shoot the dude with the die buster. Just shoot him. We're looking at two options here, Dave. Option one is that they're showing it to us one at a time, but really, he is going into, like, bullet time and snagging them away faster than the Rangers can react. And let's the just go with other that. Option, the that's other option, cool option is that the fast-talking wanderer has the ability to summon any number of spectral fishing hook lines from the sky to pull things away at random in, in any direction he so chooses. You know what? That might actually be... Those are actually both kind of cool options. Let's just and assume that one of those of is true. sound better than... Yeah, we just really had no idea how to shoot this. <laughs> Head cannon game on point. On now. point. On point. Okay, so he, in turn, he steals their die rods, their die busters, and then their die rincans. Like, Which are like they just line up. chakra things. Right, and he just takes everything. And he's like, kind of makes fun of them. He's like, oh, can't do much without your weapons, can you? And they're like, okay, in that case, Kiryoku Bomber. 
Kiryoku and then the bomber. fast-talking wanderer does the best thing. So yeah. they charge up the Kiryoku bomber, like, huge chief fireball shot. They shoot it at him. He just whips out his fishing rod, catches it, like, swings like it around, hook. and throws it back at them using the fishing hook. And it is the best. It's, is it the bomb, Matt? Um, it's the bomb.com, Dave. <laughs> okay. So he does. And like, that's the end of the fight. Like he just takes them out. So again, this, this really feels like a, a maybe a three-parter because at the end of this episode, then, you know, the Rangers are definitely have lost. Right. And we get a couple of finishing off points. We yeah. see, uh, Rin's grandpa back in her apartment, putting together the Kiryoku bazooka. Right. Because it was sort of all in parts, and so I know he's sort of putting it all back together. Yeah. We see Cameo. Yeah, we cut to Cameo, and Cameo is, he's just found the gem, right? Yeah. And he's like, oh, no way, I found the gem. This is great. And he, like, goes to grab it, and he gets hit with the same green lightning as before. And it looks at first as though he has disappeared. And in fact, the voiceover person is like, oh, <laughs> Cameo right. has disappeared again. Wait, what? No, that's not what happened. And right. we get a like, close-up. And Cameo has turned into a turtle. So but he that can is still why talk. I, yeah, he can still talk. Or maybe we're just hearing his internal monologue. But that is why I think earlier that wasn't like bruises on his face. I think that was like a residual turtle skin, maybe? Oh, all right. All right. I, I really don't know. Okay, so Cameo turns into a turtle, and then here is the last thing that we see, is we go back to the quarry, and the Goma commander's are like, oh, we're almost there. Like, we're almost at the bottom. Guys, just real clearly, first of all, this feed is only like 10 feet deep. We have seen the Goma Commanders, I'm fairly certain, like, blast slash punch through more material than this. Also... Or honestly, like, they're always renting out equipment and, you know, real estate. They probably could have just gotten a backhoe. Yeah. Also, there is, despite the fact that this is only 10 feet deep, which is, first of all, is ridiculous. Because if this is the thing that they're looking for, like the ultimate power that will let them defeat the Dire Rangers, you're seriously telling me it was all of maybe 10, 12 feet underground, and it's taking you this long to kind of figure out to go and get it? First of all, oh. that makes no sense. By the way, Second one last all, thing about the digging, Dave, uh, yeah. before we finish this out. Um, in case you haven't watched the episode, they're not digging with shovels. It's just like eight kids in a quarry hitting the ground with pickaxes. Yeah. So again, this is a quarry. It is made out of stone. So first of all, it's ridiculous that it's taken this long to try to get around to digging this 10 feet. Also, no way on God's green earth do 10 prepubescent children get a 10-foot hole into solid stone using hand tools in the course of a day. It's maybe the most ridiculous thing we've seen on this show so far. Okay, so, but the end result... Is End that result. the ground then erupts, sort of. A little bit. It's like a little, it's like a fissure, okay? And like some gas is spewing out of it. Evil gas. Evil gas. And uh, they're like, oh man, we're almost there. And I think, is it is it shot on Matt who does it? Yeah, he goes over and like sticks his hand in it, and his hand is sort of enveloped in like evil energy. 
Yeah. I assume it's evil energy. It's energy in any case. Yeah. And I just, again, I can't help but thinking, like, guys, there has to have been a faster way to get this, and maybe you could have done it, like, ages ago. But whatever. And then that's the end of the episode. Like, that's, that's it. That's it. To be continued. Next week, yeah. we will see. Well, we'll see how they we'll do see. it. We, there's really no question that they will come back from this defeat. But, well, yeah. Okay, obviously. Um, yeah, but that's that's all we get. So, we'll, we'll okay, see so, what happens next week. But, Dave, um, let's close this out. What was your high point of the episode? Hmm. High point of the episode? I am going with... I'm going with the reappearance of Cameo. Not okay. actually a ton of high points in this episode. I just like Cameo. And what was your low point, then? Oh, so many. So many to choose from. Uh, I'm going to go with Ko's mom not relaying any relevant information, despite the fact that she absolutely had time to do so. Yeah, that was garbage. <laughs> That's definitely the dumbest thing this episode. Uh, how about you, Matt? High point? Uh, my high point, I think, is that we not only did we find out the secret of Ko, but the other rangers did. And so now we can dispense with like the bad fiction of his secret identity. Oh, that is a good high point. Like uh, we can and... finally sort of move on from that. The die rangers know the score. Um, like there were actually, you know, you said there weren't many high points in the episode. Uh, I, I might disagree with you. There are a couple of cool things. We find out that stuff about Ko. Um, and then in the end, we get a little bit more like weird stuff with that gem and cameo, which is sort of pushing another thing forward in the show. So a couple of gears move on this episode, and I guess that's really what I like. Okay, fair enough. Uh, low point, Matt. Um, that stupid hole they were digging. There was just a million better ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, okay. Man. So, uh, are we done here? I I think we're done here, man. Okay. <laughs> well, in that case, that is going to do it for another episode of Live and Let Die, Ranger. Before we finish up, I'd like to remind you, you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or connect with us on Twitter, we are at supersentibros. If you like the show, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what helps people find the show. We're also on uh, Stitcher. You can check out our Libsyn site. Um, there's any number of ways you can get a hold of us. Uh, the Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>